1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Let's read the verses together. Follow along in whichever version you have. Otherwise, just listen to me as I'm reading it. It's Paul is following up on what he has already said about freedom and rights and privileges and everything else. But he says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. In the previous passages, we've already seen that Paul understood what his rights and privileges are, and he understands very much in the Word of God or through the Word of God and through the truth of God and through his direct relationship with the Lord, how he should lay claim on anything that would be his rights. And we saw there that he was more than willing to give up his rights for the sake of the gospel. Even when the Corinthians, the believers there in Corinth, were asserting their own rights, even when they were opposing him, even when they were saying all sorts of things that he should or should not do and so on, he's willing to give up his rights, his privileges, for the sake of the gospel. He's more than willing to forego his privileges for the sake of a weaker brother or sister. He was more than willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of others. He says, I, I'm willing to give it all. I'm willing to lay my life down. I'm willing to give all of this for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of others, for the sake of what the Lord would command me and where the Lord would direct me. In this passage, Paul is reinforcing and extending those points that he's already made when he states that he is more than willing to become all things to all people so that by all possible means, he might win at least some to the Lord. Notice that contrast between the all, all, all and some. Paul is very realistic in this last phrase. He knows that even if he is willing to give up everything for anyone, for everyone, only some will believe. Only some will repent. Only some will receive the gospel, die to their sin, and be born again to new life in Christ Jesus. He's very realistic. He understands that's the reality of what is going on and what the nature of people's hearts are and how they will respond. So he says, I'm doing this all, all, all for the sake of some. Don't, you know, think about that. When we 
well, invest into something, when we say, I'm going to put my effort into this, when we say, I obeyed God and did this, what do we expect? We expect a return on our investment. We expect a lot, right? We say, I did all this work. I should have gotten at least this much, right? We measure in terms of our own evaluation of things. Paul says, I'm willing to give all to all in all possible ways to win some, right? So he's very realistic. And his understanding is just like Jesus, who knowing the hearts of all people, including those who would betray him and those who would abandon him, yet pours out his life into them. He's willing to give everything. He's willing to give everything for the sake of the world and go to the cross and die for our sins. You know, who, who, who the generations that were going to come after the cross, he's willing to do all of that. But even in his own time, he is willing to give and to invest in and to spend time with all of those people. He's willing to heal and to deliver and to teach and to you know, encourage and to you know, cast out demons and do all of this, knowing fully well, knowing fully well that only some will remain. Only some will hold on to him. So never be discouraged about what you think are the results or the fruit or the ways in that, that something is taking place based on how you reach out. Right? Don't think, okay, I did all of these things. I reached out to this person over so many years. I, I was faithful. I obeyed the Lord. And yet, nothing. You have no idea. You don't know for sure what exactly is going to happen with that person, what the Lord is at work in, in that person. There may be some fruit that comes from it in the future. But regardless, even if that may, be, may not happen, do not be discouraged. Continue to be faithful in what the Lord has called you to do. But what does Paul mean when he says that he becomes all things to all people? I become all things to all people, he says. What does he mean that he becomes like a Jew? You know, he is Jewish, by the way. Or that he becomes like those under the law. Or like those not having the law. Or like the weak. What does he mean when he says that? Based on the audience, so I'm speaking to the Jews, I'm speaking to those under the law, I'm speaking to those who don't have the law, I'm speaking to the weak, I'm speaking to somebody who is opposing me. Based on the audience, do you think he changed his message? Do you think he was saying something different in terms of the gospel message? Do you think he was compromising the truth of God and the ways of God or the things of God based on the crowd that he was in front of, based on their response? I say the first sentence, I see they're smiling, okay, I'll keep going. I say the first sentence, they frowned at me, I better change what I'm saying. No, I mean, this is not what he's talking about when he says, I become all things to all people. He's not talking about the fact that if he's interacting with a specific group of people and they are engaged in some activity, questionable activity or outright sinful activity. He's not saying, I go ahead and join with them and I do what they're doing so that I can become all things to all people. That's not what he's going, that's not what he's describing here at all. You know, he's pointing out that he is doing something here for the sake of the people. So as is already clear from previous passages, he's not going to compromise the gospel. 
He's not going to say something that is not true. He's not backing down from his preaching and his teaching. He's very bold about what he's doing and what he's saying. He never compromises on that. Even at the sake, even at the with the possibility of being killed for what he's saying, he says, ah, "That's that's fine. You want to kill me? That's fine." Right. So he's very firm about what he's doing. He pursues that that purpose of God with great deliberate commitment. But it's also clear from previous passages and from what he states here. Paul is ready to live or behave differently among the different groups of people that he's interacting with in order to win them to the Lord. So he says, you know, if, if some, and in that context of the food, he says, if my weaker brother is offended by something that I would eat, I would stop eating that, right? I, for the sake of the brother. I, I just wouldn't even do that. But in a similar way, when he's interacting with others who are not under the law, who don't know God, who are not Jews, when he's interacting with people who are living as unto themselves, he says, I don't, I don't go to them and then try to do something to impose something on them. I understand their lifestyle. I understand what they're doing. I understand how they're thinking. And I move with them to present the gospel as the truth of God in a way that will win them over. Right? So he's speaking about this. So he says, I'm, I'm seeking to find a way, a means, by which I can present the gospel to them. When, remember when we studied the book of Acts, when we were in Acts 17, we saw how when he, when he is in Athens, when Paul is in Athens, he's walking around. He's just observing what's there in the city. Why? Because he wants to know, how can I relate to the people that are here? What do they do? How do they live? How do they behave? And he finds in the city the altar to the unknown God. So what does he say when he meets the people, when he's in, in, interacting with them? He says, oh, when I was walking through, I saw that you have an altar to the unknown God. And I see that you're curious or interested or that you're eager or that you have some idea that there is this unknown God that we need to seek out that we need to reach out to. Let me tell you about that unknown God. Right? You see how he's doing that. He's, he's understanding the context that the people are in and then adapting and moving and doing what's necessary so as to reach them where they're at. Right? So he says the gospel is the message that I'm presenting, but I want to find a way to present the gospel to them. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that our sins are forgiven, that we have been redeemed, that by simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can be saved from our sin, and that the good news of the kingdom of God is what Jesus ushered in when he was on the earth, that Jesus said, I'm here to tell you about the kingdom of God. So Paul is declaring all of those things. He's, he's, he's not compromising on any of those things, but he's doing it in a way that is relevant for the people. So these the, the core message of the gospel is the focus of Paul's efforts. It is through the cross. It is through Christ alone. It is through that narrow way that you enter into the kingdom of God. And so Paul preaches Christ and him crucified. He's not doing anything else. He's not coming to the people and saying, let me understand how you live. Let me you know, know your ways. And now let me preach another gospel. He's not doing that. In fact, as we already saw, he says, if even an angel, or even if I come to you later and I say something different than what, it, what is the truth of the gospel, 
Don't receive it. Reject it. Stay on the truth. So again and again, the point that I'm making to you is when he says I'm doing these things, I'm all things to all people, there is a truth there that he is adhering to. And as he preaches Christ and him crucified, and as he bridge, he's bridge building, he's building bridges, he's building connections to the people and relating to them, he is showing them that Christ alone, the, the fact that Jesus says, I am the way. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that there is an exclusive claim in Christianity. It doesn't say all ways lead to God. Christianity says Jesus is the way. And that's the message that Paul is proclaiming. I'll come back to this point if we, you know, based on how we're going through the rest of this message. But I, I, I do want to say that on, on Wednesday when we have a sermon discussion, I'll come back to this point in terms of what we're seeing in the world around us and some of the things that are going on around us in terms of this idea of being all things to all people but in fact compromising the message of the gospel, not emphasizing that Christ is the way, saying something a little different, right? So we'll talk about that a little bit more maybe on Wednesday during the sermon discussion. But here, Paul is not seeking to become all things to all people for his benefit, to please others, or because he's weak and afraid. Oh, I better go along with this crowd. They're pretty strong. They, you know, they're going to do something against me. Well, or you know, I, I'll go along with this crowd because if I do, then they'll compensate me or they'll you know, laud me or something. He's not doing any of that. He's not doing these things for his benefit, his material gain. He's not doing it to please others. He's not, he's not weak and you know, timid and you know, saying, oh, I better not say anything. He is adapting his lifestyle, lifestyle and his behavior as much as he can but always without sinning, without violating God's will and principles, and without grieving the Holy Spirit. That's his focus. And in every one of these adaptations, Paul is still very intentional and strategic to focus on presenting the gospel and to focus on what is important. He's not giving up on that ideal on that goal. Now, since the gospel is the focus and reaching others by all possible means to win them to the Lord is the goal, let me go through some important principles regarding our reaching out to others. Right? First, reaching others for the sake of the gospel is not the job of the chosen few or the salaried staff or the evangelistically gifted. You're gifted to share with somebody else, I'm not. Or you're gifted to be able to you know, present the gospel, I'm not. No, that's not the case at all. The Bible says that all of us have a responsibility and have the opportunity and have the means to tell somebody else about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We don't that's not restricted to a few people. It is the responsibility of every believer and therefore requires the participation of the whole church. Now, we may not, you may not physically be able to participate in some activity, but that doesn't mean that you should say, well, I'm not able to, well, you know, spiritually and 
in just you know, in terms of my who I am, I, I'm just not going to do it. No, all of us are called to do it, and all of us have the means of doing it. Which means that through all our lives, we should desire, we should be eager to say, God, equip me, help me, cause me to learn and to grow and to understand how to share your gospel with strength to the people around me, to my neighbors, to others. Help me to do that with your anointing, with your power, so that the word that I share transforms the people that hear it. That should be my prayer, all of our prayer, all the time, looking for that, seeking those opportunities, saying, Lord, use me in this way. So first, first point that I'm making is that reaching out to others is not for somebody else. Right? It's for us. It's for each one of us. It's for us to say, Lord, use me, lead me, guide me, help me to do this. Second thing, every gathering of believers who are all committed to share gospel and every sort of official event or meeting or scheduled activity or you know, something where there's some, some gathering of the church as such, or unplanned activities. You're just at a restaurant together, you know, so on. Or every time that you individually have some interaction with somebody. Every one of those events is an opportunity, either explicitly or implicitly, to sow a seed, to water the seed that has been sown and is starting to germinate, and to reap a harvest. Meaning, somebody else may have sown a seed a long time ago. And you may be coming along and you say two words to that person and that person says, I want to accept the Lord Jesus. Wonderful. Help them, direct them, you know, lead them, guide them. But you may be in a situation where you say one word to somebody, they, they, they pretty much reject what you're saying, but a seed is sown. A thought is, is introduced, a truth revealed, and they say, uh, yeah, maybe later, or something. They respond some, in some kind of you know, pushback, but the seed is sown. And so our responsibility is to say, Lord God, help me in every one of these opportunities to share your word, which means that a child of God must think of themselves as being on mission all the time. Don't think of it as we are having an evangelistic outreach event at church. Oh, now I need to think about how I can reach out to somebody. Right? Between 10 to 12, on that Saturday morning, I'll be evangelistic. No. I, wish I should be thinking this way. I should be praying for that. I should be seeking out that opportunity at all times. In the grocery store, Somebody coming to work at the house, something going on in the neighborhood, you know, just in, in every opportunity, being prepared in season and out of season to say, this is the hope that I have. This is the glory of God. This is the truth of the gospel. And to share that with strength, with conviction, with passion, and to say, let me tell you about this. Not because I want to 
get you to what I believe. Because I have experienced life and joy and peace and hope, and I want you to have the same. And the third thing, directly related to that. So we're always on mission, right? So we, it's all of our responsibility. We're always on mission, right? And the third thing related to this is that we must always remember that what we do is based on respect, compassion, and love for the other. We're not coming to them and saying, I know something better than you. Let me tell you about it. Oh, you heathen, you living in sin, let me set you right. This is not our attitude. We're not coming to people to set them right. We want to come to them with the love of God and to say, you can experience this love of God. And when you experience this love of God, when you know this Heavenly Father, when you understand that He has poured out His life for you, you can't help but respond to Him in love. You can't help but change whatever you are doing. You can't help but die so that you can live in Christ. You can't help but respond in this way because let me tell you, my God is so great. My God is so good. My God is so loving. My God has done so much for you. That becomes the message that we share with compassion, with respect, with, with understanding, with grace. We're exemplifying what Matthew 20, verse 28 says, where Jesus himself says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. So we don't go to people and we say to them, let me tell you this, and all right, now respond. We're saying, look, I want to come and help you. I want to serve you. I want to help you know this truth of God. And we're coming to them with that kind of servant heart and just compassionate grace in our attitude that that becomes what is apparent to people. When they hear you with that kind of heart, with that kind of tone, and with that softness in your eyes and face, they'll know. They'll know exactly what you're talking about, and they will listen to you. You know, we, we read in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Don't have any debt to anyone except the debt of love. And so the Bible is very clear that God actually pours out his love to us so that we may be indebted to whom? To God, to say, God, I have to give this love out to somebody else. I have to share this truth with somebody else. And so which means that that love of God by its very nature leads us to serve and to be subject. And in Paul's words, as he's using here, to give up your own personal rights and to be like a slave to the one who is loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So when we reach out to that person, we're saying, I'm, I'm willing to do everything, to give up my own rights. Why not rather be cheated? Why not rather be taken advantage of just for the sake of this person whom God loves? And I will share that love of God. Now in verse 21, Paul refers to the law of God and the law of Christ. And he makes this statement, you know, not under the law, but uh, under the law of Christ. And he's making this distinction. 
And you may wonder, why is he saying that? What is the difference there? And that differentiation can be best understood when considering that love for others is what motivates us. So I, I purposely didn't comment on that phrase until we talked about the fact that when we reach out to others, we need to do it with the love of God. Because here's what Paul is summarizing when he is referring to the law of God and of Christ. He's not, he doesn't explain it in that one sentence. It's just a parenthetical note that he says, law of God and law of Christ. He just says it very quickly. But what he's talking about is the fact that as Christians, as believers in Christ, as believers in Jesus, we are not under law. We're not under the law that was to bring people to Christ. We don't earn salvation by the law. We're not required to observe the laws of the Old Testament, such as circumcision or animal sacrifice, because those were pointing to and bringing us to Jesus. Having now come to Jesus, having now come to the cross, post-cross or after the cross, we do not follow or we're not under that set of laws as it was from the past. So he refers to those set of laws in that way and says, I'm not under the law as such. And we've looked at other scriptures with this regard. But, but then he says, we as Christians, in verse 21 here, we are subject to God's law. That means his commandments and his directives that apply for all people everywhere, in all places, for all time. Clearly, the Bible is speaking about the commands of God, the truth of God that applies in that way, regardless of what was fulfilled in Jesus. So there are certain things, there are certain commands, there are certain directives of God that are stated, that point to Jesus, and when Jesus comes and the, he goes to the cross, those things are fulfilled. So there's no longer a need for animal sacrifice. There's no longer a need for us to be separated as the nation of Israel was, and instead we are now brought into the same family, into that same privilege. And so certain laws stop at the cross. But there's plenty that the Lord has commanded that continues after the cross. And he said, we are subject to all of those things. We do need to keep those things. And we read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19, where he says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but what it matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. So there are the commands of God that we need to keep and to adhere to and to know. So we learn them, we understand them, we go after them. And then the final point that I want to make about this, you know, God's law, Christ's law, as Christians, we are under the law of Christ, which is the law of love. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul says, Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? It is that which will allow you to bear the burdens of your brother and your sister and of those that God loves who may not know him yet. And so it says the law of Christ is to love is to reach out. Paul says, bear, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the law that fulfills all laws. That's what Paul points to in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, where he says the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as your 
self. He's echoing what Jesus had already said about the greatest commandments. So we desire to bear the fruit of love and so submit gladly to the law of Christ, the law of love. So the law of God, the commands, the things that we would keep, but we are also saying here, we are subject to the law of Christ, the law of love, the law that would cause us to reach out to others and to serve them, to bear their burdens, to love them, to have compassion on them just as Jesus did. So I can summarize all these points that I've been making by saying this, be winsome to win some. I figured that'll be a way for you to remember this phrase. Be winsome to win some. And being winsome is to be appealing. It's to be engaging. It's to be endearing. It's to reach out to people in such a way that they say, what a joy it is to meet this person. Oh, I was just so glad to spend, you know, 10 minutes with them. I, I, I was, I mean, they, they were like a breath of fresh air. Right? That should be the testimony of a child of God. Not, ooh, here comes, oh. uh. <laughs> You know, no, we should be winsome people. We should be the ones who have the biggest smiles, the greatest joy, the wonderful demeanor that says, oh, I, you know, I love the Lord. Right? Not, I have a big Bible, let me thump you on the head with it. No, I love the Lord, let me tell you about him. I love the Lord and he loves you. We should be winsome people, appealing, encouraging, and, and you know, engaging. We should be people who, when somebody spends some time with us, they should say, you know, before that conversation, I was down. After this conversation, I feel refreshed, energized, you know, full of the something. They don't even know what it is. But you should be contagious with the love of God. You should be in so appealing in that way that they would say, what is going on with you? What is going on with you? How come? How come you're doing this? And you will then have the opportunity to share, to, to speak, to love, to do those things that allows us, as this word says, to win some. You could be winsome to the whole world, don't expect that they'll all respond to you with great love and affection, right? You will, you, some will find you to be mm, fake. Some will say, oh, no, he's got an agenda, right? He's being winsome, but he's actually trying to convert me. I'm not going to give in, you know? You'll get all sorts of reactions. Don't worry about all that. Do what the Lord has called you to do. Be winsome. Be loving. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Speak and act in such a way that the word of God would be paramount, would be central, would, would, would shine, would the light of God would shine, the life of Christ would be apparent. Do it in such a way that there will be no, no confusion about what you're representing. Nobody will leave from a conversation with you and say, is that guy a Christian? Is he talking about Christ? Is he talking about something else? No. They leave from a conversation with you saying, you know, I know where that person stands. I don't agree with what they say, but I know where they stand. I see what they're talking about. 
I understand what their heart is. That should be our testimony. Which leads us to this. We respond and apply the word of God that we are hearing and the things that we're learning from this passage by reaching out to all people by all possible means. That's the commitment we want to make. That's the application that we want to have. We want to say, Lord God, in light of your word, and, when, and in light of Paul's example and his charge to us and his, his explanation of what he's doing and so on, I want to respond by reaching out to all people by all possible means to win some. Jesus said this about himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, this is the religious leaders, they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus says, you know, the people around me, they, they watch me, they, they, they observe me, and they say about me, oh, he's a glutton. What was gluttony? He was going to parties. He was eating food that was served. He's a drunkard. I, I don't know how many glasses of wine he drank, but apparently they thought he was a drunkard. Right? And he said, he said, I'm going and associating with tax collectors and sinners. And he's speaking about this, but he says, but wisdom, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. The religious leaders had their own assessment. And they saw a man, they saw God, being all things to all people, and they came to their own conclusion. But here's the important statement that I want to make to you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We don't have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Meaning what? He knows exactly what we're going through. But we have one. We have an intercessor. We have an advocate. We have a high priest who intercedes to the Father for us and who brings to the Father the sacrifice of his own blood and says, Lord, by this, these people, these, though I believe in me, they are cleansed, they're washed from their sin. We have that high priest who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, Yet he did not sin. Can you be all things to all people and yet without sin? Yes. So this is not a statement to say, well, in order to be all things to all people, I'll have to compromise in this. I'll have to adjust this. I'll have to do that. No. The Bible's not saying that. The Bible's saying you be all things to all people and yet without sin. So in, in that interaction, in that dialogue with people as you're trying to be all things to all people, how will you know? How will you know that you are doing this by the wisdom of God? When Jesus says, by wisdom, then the fruit of this wisdom you will know. How will you know that you are actually moving according to the wisdom of God, not according to your own thinking or the peer pressure or whatever else that may be there? Well, and how do you know that you are without sin? How will you know? When I'm doing this, how do I know that I'm not crossing a line, that I'm not sinning? Well, there are at least two questions you can ask yourself continually 
as you apply this truth and say, I'm going to reach out to all people by all possible means? There are at least two questions you can ask. One, as you interact with people, are you becoming more worldly-minded than the ones who you are reaching out to are becoming spiritually-minded? Let me say that again. As you interact with people, are you becoming more worldly-minded or are those that you are reaching out to becoming more spiritually minded? Who's influencing whom? That's a question that you can ask of yourself. Through this interaction, through the spirit of time, through what I'm doing, am I becoming more concerned about the things of the world or more focused on the things of the world or more interested in the things of the world or more captivated by the things of the world just as these folks that I'm interacting with may be? Or are these folks that I'm interacting with becoming more interested in the things of God, more interested in knowing what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he said? Are they becoming more interested in, in participating in something that I'm doing? And you know, Are they becoming more spiritually minded? Are they becoming more aware of the Holy Spirit? So that's the first question. The second question related is this. Is your passion for winning your friends and family growing or is it shrinking as you become all things to all people? As you interact with people, do you still care about them being saved, of them coming to the Lord, of them going to heaven, of them being in eternity with the Lord? Or do you say, ah, they're good people. They're okay. Where's your passion? Is your passion for winning your friends, of letting them come to the Lord Jesus, is your passion for them growing or is it shrinking? These are some important questions that you can ask of yourselves. This morning, again, you know, when, when we go through these kinds of topics, there can be questions in your mind as to where to draw a line. If I associate with this person, so for example, I, you know, I have a friend and he's invited me to his house and they may serve alcohol, should I go? I have, a, I have a friend and he's invited me to join him at the bar where they definitely serve alcohol, should I go? I've, uh, I have this friend and he's you know, invited me to, to the bar and he's having a drink, should I join him? I'm a, I've been, you know, this friend has invited me and they, it's at the bar and there are a whole bunch of people there and there may be somebody there who actually knows me, who's seen me at church, should I go? If I go to this place and I'm doing these things, there may be somebody there who opposes what I'm doing, what should I do? And you can get all sorts of questions. And you're, you can struggle with saying, where do I draw the line? At what point do I say I've sinned and at what point can I say, no, I'm okay. I'm in the will of God. I want to tell you that, on a, as I have in the past, there is no rule list that we can give you. There is no determination, predetermination, that I can specify for you. Don't go to this bar, but go to that bar. I can't tell you that. Right? I can't tell you, don't, you, know, you can have this type of drink, but you cannot have that type of drink. 
I can't do that for you. I can tell you, the Lord is faithful. No matter what your temptation, no matter what your situation, no matter what the circumstance, the Lord is able to give wisdom. And no matter what kind of interaction that you're trying to have and however you're trying to adapt and whatever you're doing to say, how can I reach this person so that they will know the gospel? Whatever way you're considering in that, in all these things that I'm describing to you, I'm saying to you, you can do that by the wisdom of the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the timing of God, with the favor of God, so that even no matter what others may say, you would, as Jesus would, was able to say of himself, the devil comes, but he has nothing in me. The devil comes, but he has nothing in me. The devil cannot put his hook into Jesus. We must be living in such a way that he cannot put his hook into us. If we do something for the sake of any other reason than for the sake of the gospel, than for the sake of the Lord, than for the sake of his truth, we will have compromise. We will cross a line. We will go down a slippery slope. But if we're doing what the Lord is calling us to, do that with all your strength, with all your means, by all possible means, to reach all possible people that you may win some. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, Lord, your word is so encouraging for us. And, it, Lord, it helps us to reach out to people and to present the gospel to them with joy. This is not a chore. This is not a burden. This is a great privilege for us. And we're so glad to be able to tell somebody else about Jesus. And, Lord, to encourage them that they may also know you. Father, we thank you that your word says that there will be some who are responding to the gospel, who are one to the gospel, who come to know the Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, thank you that that is the joy that we can experience. Lord, your word says that when that happens, there is great rejoicing in heaven or even over even one sinner who repents. And so, Lord, we want to be a part of that rejoicing. We want to be used by you we want to be led by the Holy Spirit to, Lord, be all things to all people so that, Father, they will come to know you so that we can say to them, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. There is no other. There is nothing else. Nothing compares. And if you will trust him, you can have life. You can have the light. You can see the way before you. Oh, what a joy, what a privilege. Lord, let this word resound in us and come alive in us so that we may act and apply, so that we may truly do what you have called us to do, to be, Lord, ambassadors of Christ, ministers of the gospel, every one of us. Lord, those that will share the gospel, the good news, with everyone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.